everyone, and welcome to another episode of This Is Getting Graphic, the show where two friends celebrate the wildest and wackiest that comic books and graphic novels have to offer. I'm one of your hosts, Andrew Kilpatrick. And I am the other of your hosts, Phil Oberholzer. Welcome back, and here we go again with some more comic book silliness and wackiness and whatever the fuck you want to call it. Now, is this going to be, on today's episode, a more positive kind of silliness and wackiness, or are we going for more insanity like we have in the last couple episodes no i will say i think that this is probably a more positive kind of uh, silliness and wackiness Sweet. Uh, so so for a minute here let's uh let, let's let's talk about women women am i right uh, that, andrew that it's not that kind of podcast no 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 i mean uh, the, the reason why i want to talk about this for a moment is because um so uh, comic books have traditionally been thought of as a boy's medium and something for, you know, teenage kids and little kids and, you know, stuff like that. What? But I know, I know, it stinks. But the reason why I want to bring this up is because um, girls and women have been reading comic books for just as long as men have. I it's see no like... evidence to that. Really? <laughs> <laughs> that is a joke. I promise that is a joke. <laughs> But so, yeah, um, and that's that's been true uh, basically since the start of the media. Uh, girls were reading comic books, and uh, they were buying them in just as large quantities as boys were. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it doesn't matter what your gender is, you can enjoy reading. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, like, so the people who say that, you know, girls aren't reading or enjoying comic books, it's absolutely just fucking bullshit. Absolutely. Yeah, so um, that actually brings us into the subject of today's episode, because today's episode is going to be about the creation and the first story of not the first female superhero, but the first female superhero that really developed a massive popular following, which was Wonder Woman! Wonder Woman! Yes! Yes! I, <laughs> I love Wonder Woman. I absolutely love her. She is an absolute badass in every aspect. Oh, absolutely. And um, so the idea behind her, uh, her creation was the idea that uh, there should be a, a female superhero. So Wonder Woman was created by William Moulton Marston, was his name. Wow, that's and a mouthful. He, it sounds like a candy bar. <laughs> it really does, doesn't it? So, Marston had come to the attention of DC, or the two companies that would become DC, National Periodicals and All-American Publications, uh, through a magazine article that he had done in uh, 1940, where he discussed the potential of the comic book medium for education for children. Okay. And, yeah, yeah. So, Marston was a psychologist, he was um, someone who, he had actually uh, helped develop the concept for the polygraph. So, oh, no um, shit. Yeah, yeah. He and his wife, um, Elizabeth, had come up with the idea for the polygraph. And um, so he came from a psychological place when he was discussing the impact that superheroes and comic books could have upon young children. The original, and so this idea, the... the original idea for the polygraph, you tell the truth or this badass Amazon princess will punch you in the face. <laughs> you know, there's some inspiration there for the lasso of truth, I'm just saying. Yeah, oh god, that's true, I didn't even make that connection. Mm-hmm, oh yeah, it's, it's there. But so, um... Marston, through this article, comes to the attention of uh, the publishers over at DC, 
who are like, hey, uh, can you come on and be an educational consultant for our books? And he says yes, while at the same time he's thinking, wow, you know what? This could be an opportunity for me to create my own superhero. And his idea behind it was that he wanted to have a superhero who would uh, be not all about using violence first, but rather uh, through defeat their enemies through, like, love and compassion and that sort of thing. Nice. Yeah, so he had this idea, and he brought it to his wife, and who, uh, as I said, Elizabeth, was also a psychologist. And what she said to him was, Okay, that sounds wonderful. You should make her a woman. And Marston is like, you know what? That's a great idea. Fuck yeah, because, representation. Well, Marston um, was very much an outspoken feminist for his own time, which mm -hmm. in the 1940s, this dude coming out and espousing, you know, more feminist theories, like, they were a little weird by today's standards. Like, Marston... Marston's belief was that women were the superior sex. Ah, uh, okay. Yes, and that um, the reason why was because of their tenderness and their ability to love better than men could. Which, in so, a fucked up way, is equally as sexist? Just kind of I the opposite spec on the opposite side of that? A little bit, a little bit. Like, it's it's a little uncomfortable when you're looking at his theories. And he was also into, um... Now, I'm not going to judge anybody for their particular, um, kinks or anything like oh, that. Oh, no. Andrew, but... we haven't even gotten to the comic yet. I know. <laughs> well, this is something that's shown up in early Wonder Woman, so it is something that's very much discussed. Um, he had a bit of a thing with bondage. The Marstons did. Suddenly and the lasso of truth makes double as much sense. Yes. There's a quote that Marston has wherein he says, quote, The only hope for peace is to teach people who are full of pep and unbound force to enjoy being bound. Only when the control of self by others is more pleasant than the unbound assertion of self in human relationships can we hope for a stable, peaceful human society. Okay. Once again, not judging anybody for their kinks, that really, really sounds like the manifesto of a supervillain. Well, yeah, a little bit. And um, like I said, bondage was something that showed up in a lot of these early Wonder Woman stories. Like, it's something that we're going to see um, in today's story, actually, in a weird way, when we get into it. Um, hey, but when, so, we, when we look up the panels to include in this podcast so people can see what we're seeing, um, are we going to get flagged? Doesn't seem likely, but... Okay. Because, <laughs> I mean, the bondage isn't really, you know, in any state of undress or anything like that. Let's okay. say that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but so, the the idea that he wanted to, uh, to do was that idea of this loving and compassionate woman who uh, would defeat people through that compassion and that love rather than using her fists or her violence... And, um, so he brought this idea to the publishers over at DC, and, um, they were given the go-ahead. 
And so Marston um, did the original art and the writing for this story. He wrote under the uh, pen name Charles Moulton. So he didn't yeah. use his real name on the, uh, on the actual comic. Well, no um, one, he didn't want anyone to know he was associated with world domination via bondage. And he, like I said, he drew inspiration from uh, two women in his life. The first was his wife, Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. who, as we've discussed, was a psychologist. She shared a lot of his theories. She had very similar ideas on things as he did. And uh, they also drew inspiration from Olive Byrne, who was a former student of the two of them and was also involved with both of them in a polyamorous relationship. So, um, Oh, well, good for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one thing that they took out of that um, was Olive Byrne enjoyed wearing bracelets. And wore bracelets oh. as part of her whole ensemble. So that was where the visual inspiration for um, Wonder Woman's bracelets came about. And we'll see in the comic that it was also made into, you know, part of the whole Amazon culture mm -hmm. that we're kind of looking at here. And see, I respect the idea that this guy's going for with a superhero that protects through compassion rather than violence. Mm -hmm. I feel like that message has kind of... I feel like we've kind of deviated from that message a bit because... Looking back, Wonder Woman punches people a lot. She does. She does. But she also has, I would say, arguably, more love and compassion for humanity and even for her own rogues gallery than I would say a lot of other folks do. Like, um, Superman has that appeal of hope for humanity, and Batman has that a bit too. But there is nobody quite like Wonder Woman in terms of thinking of those ideals of, you know, redemption and the potential for humanity that, uh, that we have. Awesome. Yes. So this is that's... why I love her. <laughs> so that's really for the, uh, for the spirit of, um, Marston. And just going back to the bondage for a minute here. <laughs> um, so there's a phrase that'll he, go down in infamy on this podcast. Going back to the bondage. No, <laughs> he wanted to give wonder woman, um, you know, a weakness. Superman had his kryptonite. Batman had being shot. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but so wonder woman, um, he actually made the bracelets also a weakness because, and there, there's a backstory here for it in terms of the Amazon things. If the bracelets are chained together in any way, then that would make Wonder Woman lose her strength. I mean, it kind of makes sense. I mean, if your arms are manacled together, it can make it a bit harder to punch things. A bit, yeah. I mean, you can still be a kicker, but you're also not uh, you're That not just feels strong. like physics. <laughs> So that was another way that bondage entered into a lot of these early Wonder Woman stories was as a way to, you know, get Wonder Woman to lose her strength for a period of time and up the drama of the story. Okay. So uh, that's where we're at with, uh, with Wonder Woman here. And um, so we're going to segue here and take a look at the actual, uh, the actual story here. So we're not going to look at the cover of this one because Wonder Woman's not on the cover. Because this what is book... How do you have a Wonder Woman comic that doesn't feature Wonder Woman, especially when it's her first story? Well, because um, her first appearance was in All-Star Comics number eight. As a backup oh. story, All-Star Comics was the Justice Society's book. So oh, okay. um, 
Yeah, so most of the comic is a Justice Society story where they're trying to stop a man who's making literal crazy pills. So, um... (laughs) (laughs) I kind of love that. I kind of hope we talk about that one at some point. At some point. Like, I, I read this story and it was wondering... Should we talk about this as well as Wonder Woman? But I wanted the feature to be on Wonder Woman for today's episode. So I love the image um, of the Justice Society trying to stop a villain from making people like running up and down the street, just like smacking each other on the head with hammers, <laughs> cuckoo clocks going off everywhere. <laughs> but yeah, so she's not on the cover for that reason. It's it's the the, the Justice Society is on the cover. So we're going to uh, skip right to the uh, actual story itself. And uh, it kicks off with a bit of a bang with the splash page showing the character here in all her glory. I love it. She looks awesome. Oh, yeah. It's a really great, wonderful design. And uh, it's pretty well timeless, too. And uh, so we start off with a little bit of a narration caption here, which reads... At last, in a world torn by the hatreds and wars of men, appears a woman to whom the problems and feats of men are mere child's play. A woman whose identity is known to none, but whose sensational feats are outstanding in a fast-moving world. A woman whose identity is known to none, despite the fact that she does literally nothing to cover her face. (laughs) Going with Sailor Moon rules on this one. And then it continues... With a hundred times the agility and strength of our best male athletes and strongest wrestlers, she appears as though from nowhere to avenge an injustice or right a wrong. As lovely as Aphrodite, as wise as Athena, with the speed of Mercury and the strength of Hercules, she is known only as Wonder Woman. But who she is or when she came, nobody knows. We're guessing somewhere in Greece. (laughs) we've drawn a lot of uh analogies here nobody knows except for me the narrator and you when you finish this story ah spoiler alert (laughs) so uh we start out with the actual story with a plane flying over paradise island whoa 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 Paradise Island? Yes. Is that a resort? In the Golden Age, Themyscira was referred to as Paradise Island. Aw, that's not nearly as cool. (laughs) Are you sure about that? I don't know if any of our listeners have watched the adult animated Harley Quinn show, which, first of all, if you have not, go watch it. It's a masterpiece. It is. There's a plot hook where a villain tries to turn Themyscira into a luxury beach resort, That's what this is sounding like already. (laughs) Did did they call it Paradise Island? I legitimately can't remember. I can't remember. I really hope they did. (laughs) Because that that would be an amazing callback to this comic. No, they didn't! Yeah, it really would. (laughs) And to the Golden Age in general. Because, like I said, that that was its name up through, you know... um, So, I don't want to get into the concept of the DC multiverse right now. Because that's a whole kettle of fish. But, uh, yeah, exactly. Paradise Island, a place where there's no dudes. (laughs) So uh, this plane is flying over Paradise Island, and it very quickly um, crashes into the island, (laughs) where it is found by uh, two women who are dressed in basically, like, bikini tops and, like, grass skirts, I guess. 
Uh, they haven't reached Themyscira yet. They're clearly still in Hawaii. And one of them is uh, our future Wonder Woman, who, at this part of the story, it appears she does not have a name. She's referred to as Princess exclusively. Oh, no. I'm getting Jasmine vibes already. (laughs) So they find the plane, and they pull out a blonde man in uniform... And the one who the princess is with is reacting like, it's, it's, to which the princess goes, it's a man, a man on Paradise Island. (laughs) We have never heard of such a thing as the penis. (laughs) Also, when you said a plane crashed on Paradise Island... Like, I know the story of Wonder Woman. I know who this character is. But my brain immediately went to, like, like a 747. So, <laughs> like, like a giant, like, commercial, like a commercial plane crashes on the beach. And these Amazons are like, boy, we're really bad at staying hidden. <laughs> there's, a, there's a Delta flight path right over top of us. <laughs> yes, in, in 1940, in 1941... There was yes. this. <laughs> That's what makes this even weirder. We're really, really bad at being hidden. <laughs> but so, um, the princess then goes, all right, let's get him to the hospital. Wait, there's a hospital? Oh, yes. So, so they're dragging him through the streets, and everybody is reacting to seeing the princess carrying this guy. They're all like, a man? And literally... <laughs> And every time you see the word man, it is in all caps and bolded for the lettering, so... Why do they sound like like 1940s Looney Tunes characters? <laughs> A man! A man! A man! Mainly because that's always what I think of whenever I see this all caps and bolded thing here. You see a bunch of them, like, batting their eyes and fainting. And my favorite is this lady who's off to the side as Wonder Woman is dragging um, this man to the hospital. Because she goes, (laughs) someone tell the queen there's a man on Paradise Island! (laughs) Sheila, we've established this. He's literally being carried through the streets. I think the queen is aware. So so Wonder Woman immediately takes him to the hospital, where we see the Amazon doctor, who is probably my favorite friggin' design in this whole book, because she's literally <laughs> got, like, the headlamp that doctors had going on. She's wearing a white outfit with buttons and shit. She's literally, like, dressed as a doctor, but with the weird kind of bikini aesthetic that the Amazons have going on. It is it's incredible. Like- it's literally like they buttoned up a white lab coat and then took a pair of scissors and cut away the, the sleeves in the midriff, basically, and then cut it short. So it's just a white buttoned up bikini, like a sports bra, and I'm assuming a white buttoned up coat skirt, <laughs> but still with the headlamp and she's wearing glasses. I love her. I love this doctor and I want an entire book about her. I want to know where she went to medical school. I really hate to make this comparison, but it really looks like a bad porno version of a female doctor. It does. It kind of does, though. (laughs) Now, if you'll excuse me, I need to take his temperature. Mm. Nice. Where's where's that thermometer? (laughs) (laughs) So they they get this man all wrapped up. They put him in the hospital. And shortly after, um, Hippolyta, the queen, shows up. And she's like, 
I heard that there was a man here, but I couldn't believe it. Who is he? <laughs> we don't know yet. He's unconscious. Also, you're Queen Hippolyta from Greek myth? Why do you have a modern-day hospital on this Greek island? Also, we haven't talked about her look yet, which is basically, it's even less than everybody else on this island. She's wearing, like, a red skirt and, like, a gold bra, and that's it. Ah, yes, the queen of this island, Madonna. (laughs) Strike a pose. Little do they know all the powerful female Greek gods are just fully naked. Oh, Actually, yeah. it's Greece, so that kind of tracks. It, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. So in response to her question about who this guy is, the doctor says, His plane crashed on the beach of the island this morning. The princess and Mala brought him here. I found these papers in his pocket. Mala died of a heart attack. That's why we haven't seen her. <laughs> Where's she been? <laughs> she saw that he had a penis and her heart immediately exploded. <laughs> so Hippolyta looks at these papers that they found and she reads... Hmm, Captain Stephen Trevor, U.S. Army Intelligence Service. Hmm, well, we can't let him die. Say that he gets the best of attention. Keep his eyes covered so that if he should awake, he will see nothing. Have his plane repaired, for he must leave as soon as he's well. Keep me informed of his progress. Cut to Steve Trevor waking up in the hospital bed and going, Oh, God, I'm blind! (laughs) Also, you can fix planes? Oh, you yes. have a hospital and you know how to fix planes? They sure can. You're LARPing, aren't you? This is a LARP. <laughs> this is not real Greece. Paradise Island is a LARPer's paradise. This is a LARPing society. <laughs> That's Entirely. what the P in LARP stands for. The princess uh, is constantly at Steve Trevor's bedside in the next few days, and the doctor is becoming increasingly concerned. She seems so obsessed with the penis. Damn it. We've got dildos for this sort of thing. But so um, the doctor goes to Queen Hippolyta and she says, I'm worried about the princess. I don't think she ought to be allowed in the hospital anymore. She acts rather strangely about that man. Also, we have visitation hours. Please get her out of here. <laughs> really? She, she's interfering with the treatment plan. <laughs> I haven't been able to change his IV bag in three days. <laughs> You know what, I have no doubt that they actually do have an IV bag, because the anachronisms are real on this island. I'm holding this back, because we do get an explanation for all this shit. Oh, okay. I am holding that back for now, but... Hephaestus, the god of the forge, lives on this island. I call it a plane. (laughs) Now take it apart and put it back together. Use it to fly. But so Hippolyta, upon hearing this news from the doctor, she says... Oh, so she's in love. I was afraid of that. You're right, Doctor. I'll take steps immediately. She's in love? They haven't exchanged one word. He's just a dude. Yeah, but I mean, she's spending so much time with the guy. She's like sitting in a He's in a coma! Yeah, but clearly that means she's in love, right? No! No! (laughs) His plane crashed... And he's in a coma. All that she knows about him is that his name is Steve Trevor, he flies a plane, and he presumably has a penis. (laughs) Well, they haven't seen it. Um, The the doctor maybe has, but I don't think that the princess has at this point. That would be a scandal. (laughs) But, so, Hippolyta gives the order that uh, the princess is not to spend any more time with this man. And she goes to her, and she says... 
But mother, I don't understand. I must see him. I must know who he is, how he got here, and why he must leave. I, I love him. No! <laughs> no! I get that she wants to save the world through love, but this is not the way to do it. Are you sure about that? I'm very sure about that. This is already unhealthy. Are you sure that riding this one guy's rocks is not the way to save the world? I mean, in some comics, maybe. I refer you back to my bad porno doctor scenario. <laughs> That's not this kind of novel. But, so Hippolyta, upon hearing this, says, I was afraid that the day would come that I would have to satisfy your curiosity. So come, I will tell you everything. Don't, don't, don't say satisfy your curiosity right now. It, it, it takes a really weird turn, wherein, for two pages... This comic becomes a prose story. So like we we're, we're we've got these walls of text interspersed with these like these little tiny illustrations in between. This is so, a graphic novel podcast, Andrew. Why are we suddenly reading the newspaper? <laughs> because this is how Hippolyta has chosen to deliver this story. So this is where we get the whole backstory of the uh, of the Amazons and Hippolyta delivers, if how this is arranged is to be believed, then Hippolyta is really emphasizing certain words above others. And I'm going to read you an excerpt, and let me see if you can determine which words it is that Hippolyta is really emphasizing for some reason. Okay. In Amazonia, women ruled and all was well. Then one day, Hercules, the strongest man in the world, stung by taunts that he couldn't conquer the Amazon women, selected his strongest and fiercest warriors and landed on our shores. I challenged him to personal combat because I knew that with my magic girdle given to me by Aphrodite, <laughs> goddess of love, I could not lose. Hey, 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 Andrew, can I ask a question? Yeah. Is the magic girdle going to be important later? That's a good question. I, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm taking a shot in the dark there. <laughs> and when I did, but Hercules, by deceit and trickery, managed to secure my magic girdle! <laughs> and as soon as we Amazons were taken into slavery! Doctor, doctor, my mom is off her Tourette's meds. <laughs> You you have to see this because the words magic girdle are again bolded and in all caps and just friggin It's like it's literally like Hippolyta is turning towards the person reading it and screaming it in their face so they remember it. Exactly, exactly. So she tells the story about how Hercules came back and took them into slavery. And Aphrodite has decided, well, you screwed up, so I'm not going to help you out of this. So, um... <laughs> wow, typical dickery from the Greek gods. This this all tracks for Greek myth. So this is where their bracelets come from. Every Amazon wears bracelets due to their uh, history of slavery and captivity. And Hippolyta says... Finally, our submission to men became unbearable. We could stand it no longer. And I appealed to the goddess Aphrodite again. She relented, and with her help, I secured the MAGIC GIRDLE from Hercules. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I just love, like, I know it's from Greek myth. I know this is accurate to Greek myth. 
But I love, number one, <laughs> I love that we have a society, they're portraying a society of very strong, powerful warrior women, and the princess of that society immediately falls in love with a dude, simply mm-hmm. by the fact that he's a dude. And number two, the most powerful magic item on this island of warrior women is a girdle. No, 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 not just a girdle. A magic, magic girdle! girdle! <laughs> Orson Welles would be very pleased. So Aphrodite helps them out of their slavery, and she, using the power of the magic girdle, they're able to um, defeat uh, their masters and steal their entire fleet and sail away from Greece. And it was Aphrodite's condition, upon freeing them from slavery, that they leave the man-made world and establish a new world of their own, and also that they must always wear the bracelets as a reminder that they must always keep away from men. We can assemble planes, so these boats should be no problem. (laughs) So they arrive at Paradise Island, and it's found to be a... uh, a fertile place with soil, vegetation, <laughs> no, there's not. There's resources. no men. Hey! Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boo. So, um, she's like, here there is no want, no illness, no hatreds, no wars. And as long as we remain on Paradise Island and I retain the magic girdle, we have the power of eternal life. So long as we do not permit ourselves to again be beguiled by men, we are a race of wonder women. Well, I have some bad news, Hippolyta. Your princess will not leave the hospital for a very specific reason. Uh, Something tells me your magic girdle is going to be a bit of a problem. So uh, she's like, we have to keep this promise to Aphrodite if we're to be kept safe here and in peace. And that is why this American must go as soon as possible. And now, let me show you the magic sphere that you've heard me talk about. What? No! (laughs) We have not heard you talk about a magic sphere. We heard about a magic girdle, but we have not heard about a magic sphere. Please note that magic sphere does not have the same bolding and capitalization (laughs) that magic girdle does. It's not as important, by which I mean it's probably going to be equally as important. (laughs) So the magic sphere, she says, was given to them by Athena, the goddess of wisdom. And it is through the magic sphere that they have, quote, been able to know what has gone on and what is going on in the other world, and even at times forecast the future. That seems way more important than the girdle. I know. Like, what it's... does the girdle even do? Eternal life, if Hippolyta uh, is to be believed from a few sentences ago. Yeah, uh, okay, touche. <laughs> But so, uh, Hippolyta explains that this is why the Amazons have been able to keep up with modern technology. Through the power of the magic sphere, they're able to see what is going on in the, in the world, and that they have made further advanced weapons and flying machines due to what they have seen in the magic sphere. Where are they getting their materials? I'm guessing they don't have a smelting plant on Paradise Island. I could be wrong. I mean, we we never see it, but who knows, really? They don't have any trade routes set up. Well, no, but maybe maybe it comes from all that fertile land and the fact that they're self-sufficient. Maybe they have plane trees. I don't know. I was going to say, thank God we've planted this steel girder bush. <laughs> now, if you'll excuse me, I'm off to the automotive plant. I'm whipping up a Chrysler. <laughs> 
so and then we get the image of the magic sphere which um it's not really a sphere at all that is a dinner plate that they've attached to the wall exactly like it's more of a magic wheel which is not exactly a sphere and if you know they've there's only like four or five dates and places on it so (laughs) planes cars hospitals so if they spin it to like Carthage, 1861. What do they see? Yeah, that's when they invented the plane. (laughs) So Hippolyta continues to explain the magic sphere to her daughter, and she says that it's through the knowledge from the magic sphere that she was able to teach her daughter all the arts and sciences and languages of modern and ancient times, but not what a penis is. Seriously, that's just what I was about to say, but not what a dude looks like? I guess not. Although, to be fair, they did know he was a man on sight. I keep thinking that their history has to have been passed on, right? But at the same time, apparently the princess didn't know dick about this. Ha, pun, pun intended. intended. Because um, this is this is implied to be the first time that Hippolyta is telling her their history. So I guess I guess I'm a little confused, you know? This feels like a very biased history lesson. <laughs> but mother, how how have the, how has the human race been able to populate throughout all these years? They prayed really hard to Aphrodite, my child, and a magical stork would bring them their children. You you'd like to know where babies come from, my daughter. Well, you see, uh we sculpt them out of clay, and then they're given life by Zeus. Which is your actual New 52 origin, so, um... (laughs) Thanks, Madonna. You're welcome. But so, um, then Hippolyta says, All right, so through the magic sphere, let's see where your American captain came from and how he got here. So let me just spin it around to America, 1941. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Uh, as for how he got here, I'm gonna take a stab in the dark and say flew. <laughs> so we cut to a flashback sequence which features Steve Trevor uh meeting with his superior officer and he's saying, "Sir, I've come to report that I've at last uncovered information as to who the leaders of the spy ring are. I'd like permission to close in on them personally." And his superior officer is kind of balking at this. Yeah, because... you don't need the army for that. <laughs> Well, he's like, you're the, you're the most valuable man in the Army Intelligence Department. We can't risk losing you. Uh, not to insult Steve Trevor, but I've never heard of him outside <laughs> of this comic. Oh, come on. Don't be mean to Steve Trevor. Oh, no, he, I'm sure he's a great guy. I wouldn't know. He's been in a coma this whole time. <laughs> so um, Steve Trevor pleads his case by saying that it's a dangerous job, and I'd rather do it myself rather than risk anybody's life. And I guess Aww. that, yeah, and I guess that this is something that uh, his superior officer kind of goes with because he's just like, well, I get it. Best of luck to you. Have fun. <laughs> this mission is super duper dangerous. I don't want anyone to die, but you're going to die and we kind of need you. Yeah. Well, All you right, convinced me. <laughs> Off you go. So he moves over to this car where he says that they have their hidden planes here and Von Storm will be driving past here any minute. If I can capture him, their leader, a cleanup job will be simple. Okay, I don't know who Von Storm is, but he wins the award this week for coolest name. (laughs) 
So, this is a Nazi spy ring that's operating out of the United States, which I'd like to point out that this comic came out in, like, September of 1941. So, America is not yet at war with the Nazis at the time that this comic is coming out. Do the people at DC have their own magic sphere? (laughs) Did they see the future? Well, I guess that we're looking again at the historical context of this whole thing, because I think that a lot of people in the United States were like, well, the Nazis are going to be a problem for everybody eventually. So they started putting the Nazis in stories like these. Uh, For example, Captain America had already used the Nazis as villains. Uh, oh, over, did he already punch over Hitler? It timely. He had already punched Hitler, yeah. Hey, and nice. we weren't even at war with them yet. So uh, there was a lot of, you know, this sort of thing in comics of this time where Nazis were being used as villains. Why are so many people named Steve already fighting the Nazis? Because Steve's get shit done, I guess. So he's waiting by where um, Von Storm and his uh, Nazi accomplice are waiting and so they drive by, and um, Von Storm is very helpfully um, reciting his evil plan, wherein nice. he says, Today we send our planes into the stratosphere where they cannot be seen and bomb American airfields and training camps. Since our planes will not be identified, it cannot be construed as an act of war. Boy, I sure do hope nobody looks up. <laughs> also, I don't think that's how war crimes work, buddy. Well, they're not at war yet, so if they just keep over the cloud cover, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but they've got a grand plan here, so that's what they're working with. Is it grand? I would say it's just a plan. It's a plan. It is <laughs> we'll a say plan. That. I will give them that. So at this point, um, Steve Trevor leaps out of the bushes and points his gun at the driver of the car, and he uh, is basically like, if you'll be good enough to stop the car and step out quietly, there won't be any trouble. At which point, the driver just turns the car, slams it into a tree, and knocks Steve off of the car, and um, (laughs) knocks him unconscious. At which point, Von Storm is like, um, he will come in handy for our plans. Steve has gotten knocked out in his own flashback. I feel so bad for this guy already. The man gets knocked unconscious at the drop of a hat. This poor guy. His skull must be made of, like, tissue paper at this point. Seriously, the man has had many concussions. How many pages in are we in on this comic and he's been knocked out twice? Uh, this is, like, five pages into this comic and he's been knocked out twice. Oh, Steve. Wear a helmet, buddy. Yeah, really. So, uh, Von Storm and his, uh, Nazi associate, who from this point on has been given the name Fritz, uh, drag him back to where they have their, uh, their warplanes, and, um, he's like, You, Fritz, get the American plane ready and set the robot controls. I want to be flying it so it can be seen over the American aerodrome, while you in the stratoplane drop planes from above. Ah, and so we then put our American officer in the robot plane. The malignance of your ideas is refreshing, mine hair. Uh, okay, two things. <laughs> Number one, I think you've already won the war because you've got robot planes. <laughs> Number two, malignance is not a good thing. You should not be complimented on your malignance. So they put Steve into this robot plane... 
and they fly over. Um, they, uh, they That's my new flying. favorite sentence in this podcast. <laughs> they put Steve in the robot plane, and then <laughs> comics, baby. Yep. So they fly him over the American aerodrome and a training camp, and they start. There are two planes at this point. One of which is the robot plane, which Steve Trevor is unconscious in, and the other is the one that's flying up in the stratosphere from which they are dropping the bombs. So they're trying to make it look like one of their own planes is dropping bombs on them and frame Steve for it instead. Okay, okay, I can kind of see how this plan is coming together. Just don't hit Steve's plane by accident. Yeah, exactly. And from the ground, everybody's reacting to this and like, What in the world? One of our own planes is dropping bombs on us! There's something queer going on here! Say, what's going on here? (laughs) (laughs) But in the the robot plane, that's where Steve um, regains consciousness. And he realizes what's happening and what he's doing. And so, apparently, um, there are manual controls inside the robot plane as well, so... Well, then it's not a robot plane, now is it? (laughs) Not entirely, but so Steve takes manual control, and he flies the plane up into the air, and he is following the plane that was dropping the bombs, and the, the pilot on the plane, who I don't think is Fritz, it might be, though, they kind of look similar, but everybody looks like a Hitler stereotype in this thing. So I mean, yeah, they're Nazis. Yeah. But so, um, he's, so he's going after this Nazi plane that is dropping these bombs. And in the stratosphere? Yeah, he's gone up into the stratosphere. Cool. Seems high. I, I think it is, which means <laughs> dropping bombs was very impressive. I was going to say, I really hope the accuracy on their dropping of bombs from that height is good, because if those bombs go off of trajectory, they are really going to mess things up they did not intend to mess up. Mm-hmm. So, oh, it is Fritz. Fritz is the pilot of the uh, of the robot plane. Or not Confirmed. the robot plane, the, the bombing plane. But so, um... <laughs> look, not there the are robot a lot plane, of, the other one. There are a lot of planes in this story. <laughs> <laughs> There's one on the island. There's one that the Amazons can build. <laughs> Wonder so, Woman gets uh, an invisible one apparently at some point. Yeah. So Fritz calls down to Von Storm and he's like, "Oh no, the American has regained consciousness and he's turning the robot plane against me. I can't shoot him down." Why? Well, cuz he's behind him and the robot plane is I guess faster and more powerful than uh, the the plane they were dropping the bombs from, I guess. The really I, I good plan to take your greatest plane that you've invented and stick your an enemy agent behind the wheel of it. Well, I, I feel like they should have removed the manual controls before putting Steve in that thing, but whatever. I'm not He's a Nazi. He's not going to wake so. up. <laughs> so um, Von Storm from the ground is basically yelling, You fool! Don't let him shoot you down! They must not find out this plan! They must not know that you dropped those bombs! Get him away from this from his field! And so um, the plane turns, makes a sharp turn, and Steve is giving chase, and they go out over the sea, uh, and Steve is like, boy, I wonder how long he's going to keep this up. Well, as long as there's gas left in this crate, I'm going to stay with him. And hours pass, and many miles pass with them, but unfortunately, Steve's plane runs out of gas. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> so he didn't get shot down. He literally flew so long he ran out of gas. Exactly. And so his plane starts crashing, and he's like, wait, what's that below? Is that an island? It seems to be surrounded by cloud formations. <laughs> I better investigate. There might be more Nazis in there. So this is where um, Steve sets down his plane. And it's at this point that we turn back to Hippolyta and the princess. And Hippolyta says, Well, daughter, there's the history of your captain up to this very moment. Cool. He, this is the man they entrusted on this mission. He insisted on going himself, but he didn't realize he didn't have enough gas in his plane. <laughs> and the Nazis got away. And the Nazis got away anyway. Sure, I'm glad you didn't have the army backing you up, Steve. Yeah, really. But so upon seeing this, the princess says, But mother, he must be taken back to America to finish the job he started. Okay, okay. Yeah, so she, they're and, down for stopping the Nazis. And I, as a member of the royal family, am the only one that can take this stranger to a distant country. Well, Hippolyta's like, Well, leave me alone, daughter. I must consult with <laughs> Athena and Aphrodite to see what we should do. She goes in the other room and is just pacing back and forth. Oh, God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? <laughs> yeah, and so um, as Hippolyta is saying this, the princess is thinking, you know, it wouldn't be any trick at all for me to fly him back myself, but Mother would never hear of it. I just... I can't let me just, let me just of... go over to the plane tree, take down a new one. Yeah, and exactly! <laughs> the plane is broken! It's going to take a while to fix it, which you should know how to do because you're ancient Greek figures. <laughs> the magic sphere, though. Come on. The magic sphere that shows them how to do that and doesn't provide them the materials to do so. <laughs> but so um, Hippolyta gets in contact with um, Aphrodite and Athena, who uh, calls him up. Who apparently, well, they manifest physically in the room in order to oh. have this conversation with Hippolyta. So, um... <laughs> okay, um, cool. Just called up my bitches, we're gonna hang out. So, um, Aphrodite, uh, is like, The gods have decreed that this American army officer crashed on Paradise Island. You must deliver him back to America to help fight the forces of hate and oppression. To which Athena tacks on, Yes, Hippolyta, American liberty and freedom must be preserved, and you must send with him your strongest and wisest Amazon, the finest of your wonder women. For America, the last citadel of democracy and equal rights for women, needs your help. As Greek goddesses, we absolutely give a shit about America. <laughs> and the last bastion of equal rights for women and democracy. Yeah, I hope they don't notice some people's paychecks in that country, because they're going to turn on that real quick. Yeah, especially in uh, 1941. Ooh. I mean, it's going to get better during the war. Maybe that's what they're thinking, because, you know, with the men off at war, women have to, you know, get into the workplace, so... Athena is technically a goddess of war. She might have seen this coming. Yeah, it's uh, potentially... So Hippolyta decides that in order to determine who the strongest and wisest of the Amazons is, she's going to hold a tournament to determine who's the most capable to take Steve Trevor back. And the princess uh, expresses a desire to enter. 
To which Hippolyta is like, No, daughter, I forbid you to enter the contest. The winner must take this man back to America and never return, and I couldn't bear to have you leave me forever. Also, you're a member of the royal family. We kind of need you to, you know, have a royal family. <laughs> I'm pretty much it if you're gone. And I know we have the whole eternal youth thing, but swords hurt, so <laughs> please don't leave. <laughs> So, uh, the princess goes along with this, but on the day of the tournament, one young contestant insists upon wearing a mask. So, what we're looking at is, like, among every contestant, we've got this one person wearing a teeny little domino mask who looks suspicious. Viciously like the princess who we've been following this whole book in every way. Like, no other part of her body is covered. She hasn't changed her hairstyle or anything. She just we literally on... are going by Sailor Moon rules. <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand why people in today's day and age rob banks by wearing ski masks. All they have to do is put a piece of duct tape over their eyes and no one will be able to catch them. Exactly. Even her mom's over here like, hmm, I wonder who this mysterious person in the mask is. Oh, my God. (laughs) Hippolyta, you do not win points for mom of the year. Not really. And so the tournament begins. Uh, It starts with a foot race where they release a deer to set the pace. And the mysterious woman in the mask overtakes even the deer and wins the foot race. (laughs) The deer immediately runs off the path into the woods because it's a deer. Yes. So it says that the strength, the the tests of strength and agility go on throughout the day, and more and more contestants drop out until number seven, the masked maiden, and Mala, number 12, keep winning event after event until each has won 10 of the grueling contests. And so they have to have a tiebreaker round. Awesome. The tiebreaker is astounding because Hippolyta declares the contest the final and greatest tests of all bullets and bracelets. What? You have guns. Mm -hmm. You have guns on this island. They do have guns. And everybody in the crowd is super excited about this. Everybody in the crowd is chanting bullets and bracelets, bullets and bracelets. I sure do hope the second greatest warrior on this island isn't murdered in this tournament. (laughs) So, uh, Hippolyta gives them their guns and explains the rules, which are, (laughs) each of you will shoot five times. Your opponent must catch the bullets on her bracelet or else expect to be wounded. Now take your places. (laughs) I just love Hippolyta gives them their guns and explains the rule. (laughs) The rest of us fight with spears and bows and arrows, but for this one tournament, we're allowed to have pistols. Here you go. Here are the fucking guns. Oh, good. They look like alien lasers. (laughs) But they shoot bullets, lest we forget. Bullets and bracelets. (laughs) Make sure you block these with your bracelets or expect to be wounded. Or, you know, have your brains splattered across this arena. (laughs) Well, I, I think, like, the point is you're not supposed to shoot them anywhere lethally. I guess, but... True, but how great of shots are these Are these Amazons? They don't use guns for anything other than this. Who knows? 
Shooter! Mala takes the gun and starts shooting at the princess. Oh, I'm sorry. The masked maiden first. Okay, good, good. For a second there, I thought the princess was competing. I know, I was really worried there. But so, um, the masked maiden blocks every single one of the bullets with her bracelets. Cool, we should tell the princess about that. Yeah, I think she'll be really into it. And so then, um, when it's, uh, the, the masked maiden's turn to shoot, uh, she fires off one into Mala's shoulder. Shoot her! Jesus Christ! <laughs> Saving the world through love and compassion. <laughs> <laughs> so then, um, Hippolyta calls up the masked maiden to accept her prize. And she says, remove your mask. I want to see the face of the strongest and most agile of all the Amazons. Oh my God, it's my daughter. You can see her face. <laughs> daughter, you. <laughs> no shit, Hippolyta. <laughs> I could literally see... known this girl for what? 25 years, however old the princess is at this point. I couldn't recognize you because part of the bridge of your nose was covered. Everyone knows that's how the human mind recognizes a friendly face. <laughs> but so Hippolyta is like, oh, I, I, I knew it all along. I, I felt it. I definitely did. Definitely knew that you were my daughter and not some. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I knew it. <laughs> nice cover, Queenie. This is why we follow you. So she's like. Well, it's too late now. You've won, and I'm proud of you. And in America, you'll indeed be a Wonder Woman, for I have taught you well. And now, let yourself be known- You haven't taught known... her anything! <laughs> what do you mean? She, t she told her earlier that she taught her all the ways of, like, arts and sciences of both the ancient and modern world. Yeah, but- yeah, but we, did, we learned all that from the magic sphere, didn't we? Yeah, but Hippolyta was involved in imparting the lessons from the magic sphere, I guess? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm very, very hesitant to give Hippolyta a break just because she did not recognize her own daughter because of a white <laughs> domino mask. Yeah, really. And then when it's revealed, her reaction is, oh, super called it. Yeah, de definitely. Definitely knew who you were. <laughs> but so she's like, and now, let yourself be known as Diana, after your godmother, the goddess of the moon. Oh, so, shit. you finally earned a name. Congratulations. <laughs> By defying my one request, we now get to name you. <laughs> I did not know that is how Diana got her name, and that's kind of amazing. <laughs> Congratulations! You get a name. Good you girl. You clipped a bitch in the shoulder with a Glock, and now you're allowed to be named. And then, um, seemingly from nowhere, she's like, And here is a costume I have designed to be used by the winner to wear in America. <laughs> and uh, D Diana's reaction is, Oh, why, mother, it's lovely! It's all right. <laughs> it's like, it's okay. I kind of dig it. I just love the idea of, I have designed this costume for you to wear to represent America. Therefore, wear this thong bikini and carry a triple cheeseburger everywhere you go. 
Well, uh, what we see is um, she's got like a corset that's got a uh, giant eagle spreading its wings on it. She's got a skirt that's covered in uh, in blue and uh, and white stars, and she's got these red boots. So she's wearing she the is, colors of America. She is very classy looking, I must say. Yeah, it's Though, a pretty good outfit. Would that ha- would that top happen to be a magic girdle? <laughs> No, I don't think they gave up that particular aspect of their power. <laughs> Aw, yeah, it would be kind of kind of a bummer if Diana did come home and all of her people were just skeletons. Yeah, really? <laughs> oh no, they aged! <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, daughter, and may you... Oh, God! <laughs> they just crumble to dust. It's that scene from um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade <laughs> where the guy instantly ages and just... <laughs> The queen chose which girdle to give her daughter, and she chose poorly. She should have chosen the non-magic girdle. She should have chosen the one carved out of wood. Everyone knows Athena was a carpenter. (laughs) And so, uh, now that Diana has been chosen to do this, we end with a caption reading, And so Diana, the Wonder Woman, giving up her heritage and her right to eternal life, leaves Paradise Island to take the man she loves back to America, the land she learns to love and protect and adopts as her own. Is Steve still in his coma? We never saw Steve wake up. I can only assume he is going to wake up in a plane that is not his, (laughs) being flown by a woman he does not know, (laughs) in the opposite direction of his mission. Wearing these friggin', um, this star-spangled suit, just like, oh, hey. I love the idea of Steve's eyes opening and Diana is just standing over him and just goes, don't freak out. No, 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 shh, 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 it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> Who's flying the plane? Oh, it's a robot plane. What? <laughs> Passes out again. <laughs> but so, there we go, that was it, that was the first Wonder Woman story, what'd you think? Um, <laughs> it was fun, I, I definitely enjoyed it, it's, it's kind of unintentionally hilarious. <laughs> The Amazons make me think of, like, the Snoo Snoo women from Futurama a little bit. I think it's the grass skirts. uh, Could be. Could be. I'm sure there's some inspiration that's been drawn there. I would hope so. So, uh, in that case, uh, let's pivot here into our, uh, our traditional ending segment. Who was the wackiest character for you in this thing, and what was the wackiest situation? Oh, that's... mm, See... For wackiest character for me, it's it's a two-way tie. It's a tie between Diana and Hippolyta, honestly. <laughs> I think Diana ekes out a little bit only because she fell in love with a dude in a coma that she has exchanged no words with. <laughs> but Hippolyta is a close second because she did not recognize her daughter in a tiny little mask. <laughs> That's fair. As for craziest moment, um... I don't know if it was the craziest moment, but I'm giving it to I'm giving it to this one just because I love it so much. It's Steve running out of gas <laughs> in the plane. <laughs> Particularly because he says he says, and I quote, I can keep up with this Nazi as long as I don't run out of gas. Hours later. Oh fuck, I've run out of gas. 
<laughs> and it's amazing that like he did, I I don't know if the robot plane had any weapons or anything, but at no point did he actually like try to shoot this Nazi down or anything. I guess so. Like he had to follow Von Storm back to his hideout, but like stop him first. I guess. I mean, you know, you could also, you know, interrogate the guy if you got him out of the plane. <laughs> and crashed on Paradise Island, to which the response would be, There are two men on the island! <laughs> so what would you say is your craziest character and situation? So, for me, the craziest character is a tie between the Doctor for just her whole shtick and also for going to um for going to the queen and being like hey um i've got some concerns about uh the princess spending so much time with this dude well maybe if you didn't dress like you are on the set of a bad doctor's porno she wouldn't be having these feelings are we really gonna go through this again yes your majesty we're gonna go through this again wear wear pants and and my reasoning for Hippolyta is uh, the same exact reason as you, namely the fact that she did not recognize her daughter in the domino mask and then tried to play it off like she totally did, JK. But, um... <laughs> like, okay, in my head, the scenario would be, oh, great, we're going to be having this tournament to determine who is the best of the Amazonian warriors. At no point did Hippolyta go, gee, I sure would like my daughter to sit next to me and watch this. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, really. I guess she was just like, no, you can't come to the tournament under any circumstances ever for any reason. We, God forbid you see the man there. <laughs> but I would think that if she had Diana at her side in the tournament, that would make her less likely to be seeing the man who's in a coma at the hospital. Exactly. But, yeah, so that's that's my reason for Hippolyta. I think um, Hippolyta just won out for me for craziest character, just based on, oh, okay. that, on that alone. <laughs> well, there we go, then. I'm glad that I brought you around to it. <laughs> Everyone knows. Um, also, the fact that I've been comparing her to Madonna is very appropriate, considering one of Madonna's biggest hits is Like a Virgin. Like a virgin. Um, so, go going back to wackiest situation... This one is hard because there's a lot in this book that could um, could be construed. But for me, it's definitely bullets and bracelets. Oh, God, because, yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I probably should have picked bullets and bracelets for mine, but I just fucking love Steve running out of gas. That's so funny to me. <laughs> it is. It absolutely is. But yeah, bullets and bracelets takes the cake for me just because of the, the ridiculousness of the whole scenario. And the fact that they apparently have guns and only use it for this. But so, yeah, I, I guess that uh, that's gonna that's gonna wrap up our episode today. So um, thank you so much once again for uh, staying with us through another episode of uh, This Is Getting Graphic. And uh, we really appreciate the support that you've shown the podcast by uh, downloading and listening to it. Uh, if you'd like to recommend this podcast to a friend or a family member or anyone that you think would enjoy this podcast, you can recommend it to somebody you really hate but who really likes comics. We would really appreciate that. Um, also, you can find us uh, on social media. Uh, at uh, This Is Getting Graphic and uh, on Twitter at This Graphic Pod. And um, you can also leave a rating or a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or your particular podcatcher of choice. That's something that uh, really helps small shows to, uh, to grow, which we would really appreciate. 
And if you'd like to see a little bit more of our trademark geeky content, you can also watch us over on TikTok at This Is Getting Graphic. Uh, it's a great way we like to support the show. Um, or you can just send us an email in person if you want to get in touch with us personally. That email can be sent over to thisisgettinggraphic at gmail.com, and we will be sure to take a look at it. Right, and we'd also like to give a special shout-out to uh, Alex Hanbury, who uh, is a fantastic artist, a friend of the pod, and um, also uh, designed our logo and our art for this podcast. So uh, if you like what you see in uh, in her art and you'd like to see more, you can find her on Twitter, at Kona Okami, and that's spelled K-O-N-A-O-O-K-A-M-I. Uh, if you were listening to the very, very start of this podcast, you might have heard our opening theme, which was done by Mozart Mouse. It is known as the Super Guy theme. If you like what you heard and you'd like to check out more of their work, you can find them over on Pod on Pond5, which is a great website for downloading royalty-free music. Um, pop over there, listen to their stuff, and show them some support. All right, and that'll do us for today. And uh, once again, thank you so much for listening, and I hope we catch you on the flip side for the next one. And remember, until next time, stay super. Stay super.